Welcome to our fourth Universalist service video. My name is Reverend Skylar Vogel, the senior minister at the Fourth Universalist Society, and thank you for watching. What follows this introduction is a clip from our service on February 7th, 2021. You may see it in video or listen to it on audio, whether you're joining us by video or podcast. In this clip, you will hear the time for all ages, the reading and the reflection. Following that, we hope you'll join us uh, myself and Ember Kelly, our Director of Religious Education, for our lively discussion where we go deeper into the service theme together. You're invited to check out our video and our audio podcast each week, post on our website, on Facebook, YouTube, and your favorite podcast streaming site. We're also working to upload them on Instagram as well. If you like what you see, we hope you'll give us a positive review, the likes, comments, sharing, and subscribing will help make our content stay visible. Thank you again for watching. We begin with our time for all ages, and we hope you enjoy. Hi, everybody. My name is Ember Kelly, and I am the Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society. For our time for all ages today, uh, generally I do a lot of reading of stories, sharing of stories, but today on the theme of sports, I thought that I'd share a story from my personal life, and especially fits with this discussion of what Sean mentioned of some, some winners and some losers in, in sports. And this is a moment that stands out as a really special win for me. So sports obviously play an important role in many of our lives. And of that, I can say that I am no exception, even if I haven't watched them quite as much recently. My early life was shaped by the fact that I was a military kid moving and moving and moving a whole bunch of times before I got to second grade and settled into Wisconsin. Sports interest felt like me, like a way for me to find community uh, as we settled down in Wisconsin. And as I settled down in Kenosha, I struggled with, with a big challenge, perhaps one of the bigger challenges in sports. We were right on the border between the Packers and the Bears. And both fans appeared in my schools. How was I to be making this connection with my community if I didn't know which team I was supposed to like? And I had another influence. My grandpa was a huge Cowboys fan. And this was in the era of Troy Aikman back when he was a player and not a commenter. And he was taking them to multiple Super Bowls. So this seemed like the really obvious choice to follow my grandpa and to like the team that was winning a bunch. This, this, this team to make, seemed to make sense to me. However, it wasn't really until my middle school years that I really decided to choose my own team. And that's how I found my way into liking the Philadelphia Eagles. Woo. This was in the early 2000s when they showed a lot of promise with Donovan McNabb as quarterback and Andy Reid, uh, familiar with the Super Bowl now, uh, at coach. And they seemed like a different team, a little bit uh, out there compared to Brett Favre and the Packers and Brian Urlacher and the Bears. And I, I liked them. They seemed, they seemed pretty cool. And so I said, I want to be different. This is going to be my team. And they started making it to the playoffs. And then they started making it to the championship games and falling short, falling short, falling short. It was a little bit disappointing as a fan and as a new fan. But in the 2003 playoffs, something even more important than the Super Bowl happened. The Eagles were going to be playing in the playoffs against the Packers. And I was really hoping that they would win so I could prove to all my friends that they really were a good team. 
In sadness, I watched in the final two minutes of the game as it looked like the Eagles were pretty certain to lose. The Eagles lined up for a fourth down and 26. For those not well-versed in football, that's a, that's a pretty long shot. And I prepared myself for the taunts I would be getting from my friends the next day about my team losing. But then something amazing happened. The Eagles converted that fourth down and ended up winning the game in overtime. I was pretty elated. And even to this day, thinking about that game brings a smile to my face. As an adult who doesn't really watch football anymore, that memory still sticks into my head as a special moment for me, a moment of belonging, of feeling like there was something that I could celebrate in their win. Sports, whether we're playing them or watching them, really have this way of being able to provide something special and even some sacred moments in our lives, moments of community, connection, and happiness. What follows is a poem by contemporary Brooklyn-based author Jacqueline Woodson entitled Football Dreams, which explores her father's relationship to the sport. Woodson is the author of over 30 books for children and adults and the recipient of numerous honors, including the Coretta Scott King Award and the National Book Award. Hear what the Spirit is saying to us in these words. No one was faster than my father on the football field. No one could keep him from crossing the line, then touching down again. Coaches were watching the way he moved, his easy stride, his long arms reaching up, snatching the ball from its soft pockets of air. My father dreamed football dreams and woke up to a scholarship at Ohio State University. Grown now, living the big city life in Columbus, just 60 miles from Nelsonville. And from there, Interstate 70 could get you on your way west to Chicago. Interstate 77 could take you south. But my father said, no colored Buckeye in his right mind would ever want to go there. From Columbus, my father said, you could go just about anywhere. Here ends the reading. Super Bowl Sunday is not a religious holiday, at least not usually and not here. But where I grew up in the heart of Green Bay Packer country in Wisconsin, that was debatable. Growing up there, the Packers were not just a sports team. They were an identity a culture, a philosophy, even almost a religious conviction. They were the small town versus the big city, the David versus Goliath, God's team, as people only semi-joked. They were also the people's team, owned by the fans, a co-op, not bought and sold by rich corporate billionaires from out of state. They would never leave us because we owned them. They were tradition and legacy dating back to the founding of the NFL with more championships than any other team. In a world where spiritual experience is increasingly found outside of church and creed, football can almost take the place of religion. And even in religious communities, it has found a home. I remember growing up ministers, not me, petitioning God during Sunday prayer 
to heal our quarterback's ailing knee in church. And my last congregation in Wisconsin, Sundays in the fall and early winter would inspire maybe a quarter or more of our members to show up in some Packers jersey or memorabilia in church. And you would never plan a program after church on Super Bowl Sunday. I made that mistake one year and quickly learned my lesson. People had priorities. There were casseroles to bake and brats to grill. Now, this has not been my experience in New York City, at least not at Fourth Universalist. I'm not sure if I've ever seen a Giants or Jets or Buffalo Bills anything in our congregation. Although I know we do have at least one or two Jacksonville Jaguar fans. You know who you are. Perhaps this absence is because so many of us are from other places. Or perhaps it's because sports feel less important than they used to. We get enough drama and excitement in the news. Or maybe sports are viewed as a little plebeian for sophisticated New Yorkers. An idea that I would humbly suggest has a little bit of classism attached to it. Growing up, I tended not myself to care much about football. But as I went to college and moved to Minnesota, where the arch rival Vikings were, the Packers became a way to stay connected to where I was from and a way to bond with my fellow Wisconsin people. It was exciting then that during my freshman year, the Packers were doing really well. For the first time in five years, they had a real shot at winning the Super Bowl. The team was strong and well-balanced. They were coming off a thrilling overtime victory against the Seattle Seahawks and had a great quarterback, Brett Favre. But there was also urgency and anxiety. Favre was getting older, and we didn't know how much time he had left. Key players' contracts were expiring. You never knew if next year's team would be as good. So before the Packers made it to the Super Bowl, they had to first make it through the playoffs. On this particular playoff day, at my college, a surprisingly diverse group of Packers fans made their way to their lounge in our dorm. People were spread all across the sofas, blankets were on the ground with pillows and comforters, and all were centered around a big box TV. Someone had made brownies in the shared oven, although there weren't enough for everyone. And RAs reminded us that drinking was not allowed in common spaces. So we were nervous. Football player playoffs are single elimination, which means that if you lose, your season is over. Months of work and fandom out the window. The good news was the game started out remarkably well. We recovered a fumble, they missed a field goal, and soon we were up by two touchdowns. By halftime, the general feeling in the room was confidence. We felt reassured that our team was actually good. All was going according to plan. I remember the packed dorm lounge adjourning for dinner during halftime and the excitement and the happiness that we shared. Our early anxiety had been replaced by growing confidence and ease. Jokes were shared as we had our dining room trays and ate quickly and memorable plays that had happened were retold. As we scoffed down our cafeteria meals before returning to 
second half, it felt good to be in community with others and finding solidarity. And that, when we got back, is when it started to change. In the third quarter, nothing much happened. But it felt like we were no longer doing quite as well. We were no longer dominating. The pace of our offense had slowed. Our defense seemed to be giving up a few more yards. And then just like that, the Packers gave up a touchdown, and it was tied. Even for those of you who aren't football fans, the change in the room that day was probably something you know well. It's akin to watching election results come in and seeing those results start to turn bad. It's that first spark of anxiety when you start to doubt, when you, start, when you want to be confident, when you start searching out for little signs of hope, but your gut tells you that something is wrong, something has changed. You begin to feel the possibility of losing, the loss of control, the uncertainty of each new update that you get. The Packers managed to score again with a field goal, but what unfolded next was disaster. In play after play, the Packers blew it. One opportunity after another, they had a chance to win and failed. The Packers let them convert on all plays on a fourth and 26. Yes, the Eagles. The Packers tripped over themselves, failing to get one first down that would have sealed the game and ended it. Even the refs made questionable decisions. At the end, that growing dread and the horrible wrong feeling we had was confirmed. The Packers ended the game by throwing interception in overtime. It was the death blow. That was it. They scored. We lost. The dorm room that had been full of joy and excitement and hope had turned quiet, emotionally despondent. My friends would remember that game for years. The opposing team, those Philadelphia Eagles, would taunt the Packers whenever they played to cries of fourth and 26 from their stadium. Even after we had avenged that loss multiple times over. And it would turn out that even staff members years later who happened to be Eagles fans would remember that game and show obvious glee in remembering it. So epic was that turnaround so many years ago. I remember that game often around the Super Bowl, the blown opportunities. We've only one made, made one Super Bowl since that time, despite many more blown chances. So I know that the Super Bowl is not a religious holiday or any holiday really at all, but it is still an important day, a deeply human day because it is full of emotions and memories and also chances to come together and community. It's easy for us to be cynical about sports. We can look at them and say that they are not worth our time, not worth a service, we can look at the capitalist excess of the Super Bowl, the commercialism, the million dollar ads. We can look at the massive contracts for athletes in times of deep inequality. We can look at the NFL scandals around concussions and player safety or dismiss the sports as simply inane or boring or juvenile. And I would be tempted to think that too. 
especially these days when it's hard to find the mental time to care about something that feels trivial. But then I remember how it felt that day that the Packers lost all those many years ago. And I wonder why it sticks with me. Why others like Ember remember that same game more than 17 years ago and it brings her such delight. There is something of value here, something to learn from, something profoundly human. For me, it sparks a rare acknowledgement in the truth of what sports actually are and what it means to be a fan. That if you are a fan, you will experience losing like I did way more than you will actually experience winning. Each season, there can only be one victor, and chances are it won't be you or me or our teams. The Eagles may have beat the Packers, but they got wrecked in the Super Bowl that year, a loss that would sting for a long time. And many teams never get the chance to get close to the championship game, to the Super Bowl. Year after year, they just are terrible. Those that do get close but fall sh short they have a special kind of pain and heartbreak that is unique from those years of suffering at the bottom. It's easy, I think, for all of us, when you think about losing and winning, to internalize those concepts in a painful way, in an unhealthy way, like the former Packers coach Vince Lombardi did, who once said that winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. So Super Bowl Sunday, when viewed like this, can be a depressing reminder of a team's failure. But it can also be a push. If fans lose more than they win, then fandom is really just a practice of learning to lose well, of how to care deeply about something without letting inevitable failure wreck you emotionally, of how to watch a game knowing you have zero control over it without letting anxiety keep you from enjoying it. Now, these lessons are obviously not limited to football. All of us experience losing all the time in our personal lives. We find disappointment in work, in our careers, relationships end or fall short of our expectations, our own aging and mortality in bodies inevitably let us down. We even experience it in our commitment to change the world, in building that world we dream about, Living in the world of politics and justice is deeply unfair and disappointing and grief-filled. So Super Bowl Sunday, if we reframe it, this is a chance for us as sports fans or just people to think about how we can care deeply for something. Something that we can't control, the world maybe, maybe our lives, even when it will disappoint us again and again. It's about how, despite our wishes for something better, different outcomes, we can still show up and find joy when we can. It's an opportunity to practice wrestling with disappointment, perhaps with something that in the scheme of things might not matter so much, but when we, so that when we are faced with real loss, profound loss in our own lives, we are ready because we have practiced it with sports. We have built the skills needed to endure. We have learned the proce to process our feelings and keep going. Super Bowl Sunday gives us this chance. 
It gives us this one final spiritual gift before the season ends. It keeps us from despair by not only processing the past, but also offering us a better future. Because even after this game is over, after the victor is crowned triumphant, after the confetti has fallen down the field, the truth is always that the next season in that moment quietly begins. New players are drafted and traded and coaches change teams and winners are forced to compete again. Victory is never lasting, but neither is defeat. All are equal once again, and the cycle starts over. We find time for healing and growth and hope for the future. That's true for you and me. It's true for the Packers and the Eagles and even the Jaguars. It is true for all of us. May it be so for you on this maybe sort of religious holiday. Amen. Hi, everybody. My name is Ember Kelly. I'm the Director of Religious Education here at Fourth Universalist, and I'm really excited to get to sit down with Reverend Schuyler for this service discussion today. As you may be able to tell from the Time for All Ages uh, and from the reflection itself, we had talked about this one a little bit in advance, and we were able to kind of have fun and uh, play on being on the opposite sides of, of a fandom of the Packers. And so uh, I'm really excited to get to sit down with you. And I promise that, you know, we won't spend this 10, 15 minutes just to talk, talk about football. <laughs> so Reverend Schuyler, you're a fan, even if you're a fan of, you know, this team that, that stands for pure evil in my mind, <laughs> you're a fan of the Packers. Uh, and I thought that that would be a good place to, to talk about things like what, what does it mean to be a fan? What does it mean to, you know, care deeply about things? And I think, you know, this applies not just to, to sports, but to many areas of our lives. You mentioned that and you talked about politics. Uh, so what does it mean to be a fan, to get invested deeply in things that we care about? Well, first, I want to say what a hoot it was for us to discover that we had both remembered this one game. And for those of you who aren't Huge football fans. There are a lot of football games, a lot of games, particularly when you look back from now to 2004, which is when this happened. Um, it was, I think, special that that moment and speak was such a searing memory for both of us uh, and, and fun that we could share it with the congregation in that way, too. Um, we didn't know how clearly we tipped our hands that uh, that um, in my sermon it was clear that, that was the game until until the fourth and twenty sixth part. But we hope that people had fun with it. Um, you know, I think I think to your question around sports fandom, I think it means a lot for people. Uh, I think it's easy to dismiss as sort of silly and trivial. But um, I know certainly where I grew up, it was a huge part of your identity. It was it was a symbol for being from a place, from being with people who were like you and and had similar values. Certainly, I think the Green Bay Packers, which is part of why I'm a big fan of them. And, you know, we have other sports teams in Wisconsin where I grew up, the Brewers, the Bucks, um, the various state teams, uh, you know, like the Badgers. But in some ways, those teams are tribal, right? They're tribal affiliations. But the Packers also have some, I think, philosophical and even theological uh, reasons for supporting them, um, despite even what the, uh, 
what the haters might say who are Philadelphia Eagles fans. Although I will say that my my mother's family is all from Philadelphia, and so I, I do have a soft spot for the Eagles. So I think I mean think that sports have an ability to bring people together, um, even when there's rivalries. And I think there's a there's a sense of um, joining together for a shared purpose um, and, uh, and and meaning making too, like we talked about that the lessons of life are reflected in the lessons of sports. Definitely. When I think uh, I mentioned it a little bit as we prepared for this, I think that, you know, as in religious circles, we even in the UU, which is very, you know, has these these humanistic sides and very secular sides, we still kind of set aside church as the sacred thing. And, you know, can we really talk about football, such a human, you know, boring thing to talk about in, in a service? But I think that, that there's some level that that is this uh, that's rooted in a lot of very uh, traditional orthodox uh, teaching in Christianity, where where sacred and uh, human are these very opposing forces. Uh, and but I think that as you use, we we can feel free to really embrace that there is beauty and sacredness in our human lives. Uh, would you agree with that kind of assessment? Give me, give me a little bit of your yeah, thoughts and feelings. I think about that's that. brilliant, Ember. I th- and I hadn't even thought of that, but the 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 certain the natural and traditional contrast that religion, particularly Western religion and Western Christianity, has of, of separating the spiritual virtuous, the which is which is often unattainable. It's in heaven. It's transcendent, versus the the grounded, earthy. Uh, human flawed that there's this there's the these contrasts either or um, and of course one is virtuous and the other is is not you know the sacred versus profane as uh, Mercer Iliadi would talk about um, and that part of what religion does is take you from one to the next or or give you opportunities to experience the sacred and I think sportsdom is a great example of 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 something that can be so easily called profane um, because it's not, it doesn't deal with, you know, the the profound social lives that we live in the same way that our politics might or or social justice might. You know, what does football have to say about anything you know, that's significant? But the reality is is that we all live our lives through um, through storytelling and, and drama and through being from a place and being with other people who share those identities. And sports, in some ways, is an is an expression of all those things. And um, you know, whether we're a fan or whether or not we've done sports ourselves, it's pretty clear that that you you can't engage with sports uh, in sort of an open way without caring about something that's happening. Um, you know, you pick sides. Every year, everyone in the Super Bowl has to decide, unless you're a fan of those two teams, who are you rooting for? Well, how do you make that choice, right? None of my teams are here. Um, the Packers lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to get here. So that's that's a raw smartingness for me because Packers are almost there again after fifth time of failing to get the Super Bowl one game away. Do I root for Do I root for the Chiefs to, to revenge the Packers to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or do I root for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to prove that they're really awesome and the Packers team uh, lost to the champion and that's less embarrassing? Do you root for Tom Brady, who's won so much, or not? You know, there's a lot of calculations. Do, which city do you like better? Um, and so these are all moral calculations, right? To some degree, right? You're balancing these these moral questions of um, which team deserves loyalty, which team deserves victory, um, and so those are fun. If anything, they're fun 
the front exercises, right? And, and how do we decide where we are and what we believe in and whose side we're on? It's a real space for, for meaning making in our lives. And I think the, the obvious choice is to be anti Tom Brady. Um, that's just <laughs> my, my personal convictions on that, even though the friends that we are planning to virtually enjoy the Super Bowl with tonight, uh, every time that we talk with them, uh, they always talk about how Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. And we just, we just always tell them, please stop talking positively about Tom Brady. So that's, yep. that's, that's my gut reaction is I'm going to, I'm going to root for the chiefs because Tom Brady. What I love about, what I love about Tom Brady at the moment is that I have lived amongst very devoted New England Patriots fans. And, and though that fandom, no offense to anyone who's listening has a certain degree of confidence in the last 15 years of the Boston, New England, whether it's with the Bruins or the Red Sox, you have won a lot of championships. Um, and Tom Brady has been a big part of that. And uh, for the first time, you're with all of us in this, where I know a lot of New England fans are not pleased to see their their champion go off and get to the Super Bowl immediately with another team. Um, but I think there's also questions like, you know, the Chiefs, right? Like that's a name that is controversial and, and people are also making that calculation, right? Of like, do we want to support a team that uses indigenous iconography perhaps without a lot of consensual conversations and so these things can touch into deeper deeper areas of the public conversation right we see the washington former washington redskins having changed their name this year uh, the cleveland indians are changing their name uh, to what we don't know yet but but the larger conversations right impact uh, and tom brady himself being someone who supported donald trump right like that that is something that has people and i think cause a lot of people in New England when he was there to struggle. I think, you know, both of us hit, I, I think both of us in our time probably just and the reflection hit on this idea that, you know, sports can give us the sense of community. For me, it was, you know, looking for community as a kid who had moved around a bunch for you. It was looking for community when you had left Wisconsin, you know, how do you, how do you find that community? Um, and, you know, there are lots of these calculations. Like, can I really support this team? Do, you know, is my team truly the best? Is Tom Brady truly the greatest of all time? But, you know, I think that what a lot of people really appreciate it for is that ability to create community. Uh, oftentimes when there is none, as somebody who also lived in Wisconsin for an extended period of my life, you know, I think that the people in, in Wisconsin on Sundays would probably say there isn't a Democrat or Republican, there's Packers fans. Uh, something along those lines that so can bring uh, opposing sides together in many ways, or even in having lived in Michigan and now uh, living in the New York area, getting to watch fans as they suffer through being Lions fans or suffer through being Jets fans and watching this constant losing, they still find community bonding over that winning and losing. So I think, you know, there's a really rich community experience in all of this. There definitely is bonding and, and defeat. Um, when our music director, Sean, talked about being a Buffalo Bills fan, you know, the Buffalo Bills in the early 90s got to Super Bowl three times in a row and lost all three times. Like that's some suffering, right? Um, that's some real suffering. And if you really care about that team, like that's a lot of disappointment uh, and almost almost winning. Um, I also love that teams have, uh, you know, bars in different cities, right? So like the Packers have a sports bar here that people come from all over to visit and Wisconsin people go there and they and they meet each other and it's like being back being back home it's like an exile community 
um, a bit, um, Wisconsin expats. So that for me is, uh, it's called like barrel of fish, plenty, of, no, not plenty of fish. That's a dating website. Um, some kind of fish, fish in the name, um, but it's a fun place to be. I will say I'm, I'm enjoying that this, this time of diving into the message is just enabling us to have a little bit of, of lighthearted conversation. It's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a nice departure from our usual, very, very deep dives into tough and challenging subjects. Um, but you know, a kettle I, of fish, that's what it's called. A kettle of fish. It. Yeah. You know, I thought, I thought as, as somebody new to New York area, I thought that, you know, the, in, and how I met your mother to, to date how old I am since I actually watched that show when it was live, um, that, that they had this Canadian bar where she went to hang out with the Canadian expats. I didn't, you know, imagine that this was a really a real thing. There's also a, a Wisconsin bar for going and celebrating that Wisconsin identity together. Maybe I'll have to, to you know, sometime we can go. Uh, the Wisconsin expats post COVID. Yeah, there are people who like you find all sorts of common connections, and you know the first. Oh, where you're from in Wisconsin, and you know you get the thick accents, the the O's and the Piakers and that kind of stuff, and it's a it's a good time. I suppose as a final thought would be to to think about this uh, concept of winning and losing, and how sports can be a place for us to learn this lesson of like being okay with loss, being okay with celebrating and in, in the happy times. Like what what positive lessons do you think that sports can can provide us as far as winning and losing? I think the biggest thing is is this sense of camaraderie and communion with each other. That we don't have to be all fans of the same team, but but fundamentally, the, the experience of being a sports fan is the same. You know, your team may win this year. The New England Patriots may have been dominate, dominant for 15 years, but look where they are now. You know, they had a pretty poor season. Um, all dynasties end. All fandoms are disappointed. Um, there is a, a sense and empathy that comes with that experience, right? And I would hope that that lesson, and maybe this is next year's Super Bowl Sunday service, but... But the fact that is that we can see and understand and sympathize with fans who lose, right? You know, even when we our team is the winner, um, you know, we can have sympathy for like, geez, it would really that turnaround victory. I imagine Eagles fans were like, man, we're glad that wasn't us, and that must really sting for those poor Packers fans all across the country uh, who are struggling. Um, we all know what that feels like, right? It's all. I don't. I don't think that's what I said as a teenager, though. Probably not. <laughs> With wisdom and maturity, Ember, you have. Yes, uh, yes, I have. I have gained wisdom in the in the years since. <laughs> I, uh, the college dorm was not particularly uh, sympathetic either. I think to Philadelphia Eagles when we were ahead. Um, yeah. Well, Reverend Skyler, it was it was a ton of fun to get to sit down and discuss this slightly non traditional service, uh, and so thank you for thank you for joining today. Of course, what is your uh, what's your prediction for the game? I'm gonna go with that the Chiefs. I'm gonna go with the Chiefs. I just, I just, I need to see Tom Brady lose. Like that's 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 the only driving force in my heart. <laughs> what about you? I think the Chiefs are a better team. Uh, I think that they will win. I don't know how convincing it'll be, but um, I think they will win. That's my pick. I figure that Andy Reid was the coach of the Eagles back in the early 2000s and now is coach of the Chiefs. And so in a sense, it's still rooting in spirit for for the same part of that team that I was rooting for in the early 2000s. So go Chiefs. 
Yeah. And I think Andy Reid's supposed to be a pretty good guy, too. And, you know, Kansas City is a good town. Uh, okay. Well, thank you to all of our listeners. As Reverend Skyler mentioned earlier, we always appreciate any likes, subscriptions, all that good stuff. It, it means a lot to get feedback and let you know that you're enjoying the content that we're making. So thank you so much for tuning in.